G'day ladies and gentlemen, it is Jordan here and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Trivelo Coaching Podcast. Unfortunately, we had some audio issues with this episode, so this was one of my favorite episodes that we've done so far. Uh, I really, really enjoyed There is an epic story in there of dad training one-on-one with Cadell Evans, which I really, really enjoyed and I was very disappointed to hear the audio back and hear we had some some sound, some hissing issues. Um, so they will be fixed for future podcasts, but just wanted to uh, do this little introduction to say that we apologize, um, but we hope that the content of the episode is worth it uh, to make up for the uh, poor sound. So without further ado, please go ahead and enjoy the rest of the episode and we'll see you in there and then on all future episodes to come. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Trivelo Coaching Podcast. Trivelo Coaching is specializing, specializes in cycling and triathlon coaching. My name is Jordan, and I am joined here today, as always, by the Australian Ironman champion, the Australian duathlon champion, the uh, Commonwealth Games representative for triathlon, and three times Australian Masters champion of champions, and also happens to be my dad and founder of Trivelo Coaching, and that is one and only Jared Donnelly and Dad. I know you're cringing right now, but I felt I thought if we are uh, if we're going to do a podcast, the uh, the world needs to know your, your accolades. Welcome. Thanks, John. I'm a bit speechless with that introduction. Um, you can do that every week. Yeah, I think I I think I will. I think I've decided <laughs> I will. So what's on for today? What's on for today's episode? Okay, George. Well, there's a whole lot of things that happen in my week, uh, week in week out, and I get questions from. A lot of the athletes that I'm coaching, um, both on the phone and when I'm actually able to ride with some of them. Um, and it's always intriguing as to the variety of questions that are all similar. Um, they sound like they're different, but they're all asking the same thing. Um, what am I doing? Am I doing it well? Am I doing it right? Um, and so really today I want to talk about um, what is important, what numbers and what data is important to the everyday cyclist out there who's just trying to get better. Um, the overwhelming world of numbers and data. Yeah, and it's it's really uh, it's really something that I you know I've come from the old school of, of cycling and triathlon where let's face it, I had no data when I competed. And to have all of this data at my fingertips is it's like a whole new world's opened up for me. And um, and I can either refuse to uh, accept it or I can embrace it. And I'm just so into it, uh, as most people know. Um, the data the data is uh, telling a story, um, but you've got to not forget that uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, you've sometimes you've got to race and the data's irrelevant. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to get across today, that there's times when you really need to focus on uh, what's best for you and there's also times when you need to race. And I think Julian Painter in his podcast uh, a few weeks ago said, Exactly that. There's the race that he got to qualify for the Olympics. He had to race that as a um, planned, executed, um, paced race using data. And then when it came to the championship race, that goes out the window. You've got to race the race. Um, but you've still got to use the knowledge you have about your ability to race effectively. You, you can't just throw it completely out the window. So Absolutely. So for today, we're going to be going through yeah, what is relevant and what's what's really not relevant. And um, I was gonna gonna throw a joke in there and say, you know, you mean you mean to say you want all those accolades with no data? Uh, but I know you cringe at that as well because you, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to keep going on about all your efforts. But no, um, the, the important part is I think um, this is this is why we brought this up is 
me coming into the cycling world and seeing you and all your mates get into it, I, I feel like at my age I'm very tech savvy and I can I can understand a lot of a lot of technology and I came in and I just see the amount of gadgets you guys have and the apps and the, the amount of power meters or range of power meters out there or all the all the smart apps you're using the smart trainers. It's just overwhelming the amount of stuff you can use. Why would you use it for what purpose and what and what it's giving you? And the data can be overwhelming, so I, I'm trying to find out what's actually important and and what should you leave with all. Yeah, it's it's a really great topic to talk about, and as as you've uh, found out, you, it's just overwhelming uh, when you first come into this world of uh, cycling, and it's just not cycling; it's all the other sports as mm. well. Um, but but certainly, cycling is the leader in um, in in data gathering, and how how we use that to our advantage is what I'm trying to get across, rather than saying data is the be all and end all. I'm not saying that at all. Um, because you still need to, you know, have that um, uncanny ability to perform in a race, and you know, as as you probably have experienced, if someone attacks you and you look down and you're already doing 500 watts, oh, sorry, I can't follow that attack today because my data tells me that I need to stay within my limits. Well, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying if someone attacks you, the data is irrelevant. That's a time when you need to follow the race. Um, but there, there'll be a time where if that person keeps going at 500 watts for two or three minutes and you know that your critical power, which we'll talk about later, mm-hmm. is five minutes at 350, well, pretty much know you're not going to be able to sustain it for much longer. So it's a bit of uh, cat and mouse, bit of bluffing. Um, and the person who's got the better mental capacity to withstand the onslaught of continual attacking um, and can use his data knowledge is going to be the better racer. Mm-hmm. Um, but not only the better racer, but, you know, on Beach Road, you know, if you see someone attack and you know that you know, they're not, you already know who they are, their ability, that comes into it as well. Not only your data, but knowing someone else's ability, mm-hmm. well, they can't hold this for much longer. You've got to hang in here for another 10 seconds. Sounds like a headache though, trying to remember everyone else's data, let alone your eyes, right. When, when did it change for you when obviously the data started to be introduced? When did it change for you where you said, oh, I'm going to get on top of this? Yeah, look, there was a there was a one ride that I'll never I'll never forget this one ride, and I don't mind if you I don't know if you mind if I tell this story, but yeah. um, it really hit home to me. And um, we would travel down with you, with my children, with you guys, yeah. um, to Bowen Heads every summer, and I would always take my bike down there. And I loved riding in groups around Australia where we went on holidays. We go to Noosa, we we join the Noosa group, we go to Bowen Heads, we join the Bowen Heads group, etc., etc. And that's one of the great things about the camaraderie in cycling is you can go anywhere and find a group mm. and, and ride. And normally the group will be very inviting. and Most of the time. Most of the time, yeah, um, which, is, which is, you know, mm-hmm. uh, part of the socialising of why we ride our bikes and why we love riding our bikes and why we want to get better and beat up our mates <laughs> who are riding on those Saturday morning groups. Yeah. Um, but this particular uh, year... Um, We'd just heard that uh, Cadell had bought, Cadell Evans, of course, who had bought a house in Bowen Heads. And I'm talking, I don't know, early 2000s, 2005, 2006, something like that. Yep. Um, I've actually got a photo of me beside Cadell by a mate of mine who took a photo. Um, he went out and got uh, <laughs> in his car and drove ahead of our bunch. He knew he'd be on the road. He knew he'd be on the road and, and just took some photos of the bunch as we went past. Yep. And I said to him, oh, can you get a photo with me? And Cadell riding beside each other. Did you orchestrate where yeah, you did? We did. And we had such fun that day just <laughs> laughing that um, he happened to be at the right spot of the road where yeah. I was beside Cadell, although he had driven a couple of times. Yeah, 
Um, but anyway, that's completely off the topic of the story yeah. that I'm trying to, yeah. to get across. But uh, Cadell would ride in the Bowen Heads bunch, and he was he was fantastic. He would uh, uh, the morning ride would start at the uh, at the roundabout of Bowen Heads at the, at the Cook Bridges, um, across the open Bowen Head pub there. Um, the group would start um, in at Ocean Grove um, at you know, whatever time it was, and then they would meet the next group at Bowen Heads. Um, and then from that point on, uh, you go past Burbank Beach and all those details. Are, it's the same sort of Saturday morning route that most places mm. would have around mm. Australia. And Cadell would uh, they'd do country turns where every two or three minutes, the guy on the front, on the right-hand side, they'd ride two, uh, side by side. The guy on the right-hand side would roll to the front and everybody on the right-hand side would move up one. So you get to talk to a new person yeah, um, every time. So that's country turns. Yeah. So we've got rolling turns, we've got track turns, yeah. and, and we've got country turns. So that's... That's one thing that the listeners can uh, learn of what country turns are. <laughs> yeah. If you ride a lot in the country, you know what country turns are. You spend some time with someone else on the front. Yeah. Um, and anyway, that was great because Cadell would get to talk to everybody in the bunch and everybody knew that he was an up-and-coming uh, professional. He had the, the Lotto, uh, whatever the Lotto uh, mm. team kit was then. It wasn't Lotto Cadell, it was Lotto. Some of them tell us what it was. Yeah. But, um, there's yeah. been so many kits, but Lotto's been one of the original uh, teams, and uh, Robin McKeown was in that team. Mm. So. He was right through that. Yes, he was. Yeah, he, he came yeah. from. Um, He's doing well already. Tele- yeah. uh, the German telecom team. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, he was. He was. You know, an upcoming. You know, he would have been a stars and mm. like So. Um, so what would happen is normally he would ride for a period, then he would peel off, and the bunch would continue on their Saturday ride and. Cadell would go and do his own training. And um, this one day I went off when Cadell peeled off, I joined him. And I wasn't sure whether he was happy with that or not. Um, and he had no idea who I was. And it, it was, and he could turn around and say, Do you mind not doing it? But he didn't. He let me stay there. And I didn't really say anything. Um, and then he started doing some interval training at the back of. Uh, Bowen Heads is a place called Paraparap, which is I've found quite a lot of races. A lot of listeners have probably raced down there as well, yep. the long bets. And um, there's a circuit around there with very few cars, and he, he knew all the circuits. Mm. And, and he was doing, I think he might have been doing uh, 10 minute efforts, three by 10 minute efforts. And um, to go, sorry, the story is too long winded, but uh, but I was intrigued as to um, I was looking at my speed, and that was the only thing I had on those days. I had a polar. Uh, heart rate monitor, so I had heart rate and speed and distance, I think, and time. Didn't have any power numbers or anything. That's still what I've got. Yeah, <laughs> and um, anyway, oh, I was looking down and we were we were sort of doing 36, 38 k's an hour. I'm going, oh, yeah, that's, that's not that good. Yeah. I can keep up with this. Yeah. But I was sitting behind him the yeah. whole time, getting yeah. the slip screen. As you know, it's 30% easier yeah. behind. Yeah. And every now and then I just go to the side and nearly lose his wheel as I came out from his slip screen and go, yeah. Oh, I think that, <laughs> and, and we're doing 38, 40 into this. When when, we, when he slowed down, I said, oh, oh good, good job. What, what are you doing? He said, oh, we're doing three, three 10 minute efforts. And the course we were choosing sort of swung around. And so the next 10 minute efforts, we were doing 48, 50 k's an hour. And I'm at my limit trying to hang on the back of his slipstream um, because it was obviously a tailwind. Yeah. And um, anyway, we, we got through that session. Um, and he sat up and said, oh, good job, you know, kind of saying, oh, we're still there. Yeah. Um, so I was pretty pleased with myself. And then he said, oh, I'm going to go to Point Addis and do some hill repeats. And anybody knows it's on the other side of the Anglesey uh, Torquay Road on the beach side from Paraparat. So we cross over the road, go down, and 
I hadn't been down there, but it's a surf spot car park and it's got a dead end roundabout at the bottom. And and we went down to the bottom and rode up the hill the first time together. And he said, right, the next time you turn it halfway, then I'll go to the bottom and I'll chase you and we're going to do 10 repeats. Oh, but, oh, how awesome is yeah. this? I'm going to do a section with Cadell yeah. and he's using me. So yeah. I started riding those hill repeats just out of my skin and, <laughs> and sure enough, every single one he'd get me and I'd go down the hill less yeah. each time so that I had less hill to ride and yeah. I, I was getting tighter and he was just phenomenal just mm. repeating and it just really made me realise how hard this guy is riding. Mm. Um, but going back to the 10-minute efforts, I said to him, um, how, what, what, how do you know what you're riding at? He said, I'm just riding to power. And I said, mm. riding to power? This is 2000 and whatever, yeah. five, eight, I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard of the word power, yeah. except that, you know, you're powerful weight lifter. Or, yeah. you know, and she said, I've got an SRM power meter and um, I know what my FTP is. And he's using words that I just had no idea what they were about. Mm. And um, so we ended up a training ride. So I couldn't really ask him many more questions. And anyway, when, when we finished the two uh, session efforts, which was the 10 minute and the 10 one minute, he said, I'm, I'm going to go around the Bells Beach circuit now. And we'd already been out four hours. And it was going on 38, 40 degrees. And what was your mindset at this point? You're going, I'm. Um, <laughs> the euphoria of riding with this guy was yeah. over, overcoming the fatigue that I was feeling and yeah. the dehydration that I was obviously um, coming on at a rapid rate. Yeah. And, I, and I reluctantly said to him, I'm done. Yeah. I'm still at the other side of Torquay and I'm living in Bowen Head. There's still another 45 minutes to an hour to get home. Yeah. Uh, I've got no water left. It's yeah. 38 degrees and you're talking about doing another loop. Yeah. So um, anyway, so we, we parted ways and, uh, and, and I thought, oh, I've got to tuck it home. I've got to keep the tempo going. I've been training with, you know, a, a pro rider. Yeah. So stupidly, I didn't stop at Torquay for a drink, just kept going home. Yeah. Got home in a mess. Just nearly couldn't pedal the last five k from 13 feet to mm. to the finish and collapsed at home. And um, your mum was sort of saying, "What happened to you today?" Because that's not normally what happens yeah. when I come home because I ride with the bunch, and yeah. I probably was the strongest rider in, in the bunch anyway. Yeah. So, but um, and the next day we met for another ride, and we made eye contact, uh, and Dad said, "Oh, how did you pull up?" And I'm so excited that he remembered me. I wore the same kit again, yeah. and uh, I said, "Oh, devastated." I said, "I was." Uh, euphoric, but I was devastated at how I just collapsed. And he said, yeah, I stopped at Torquay on the way home for half an hour, had a nice brekkie and lots to drink. And I'm thinking, here I am, thinking I'm tough by riding home, yeah. and not fueling. Mm. And that's the difference between a professional and, mm. and an amateur. I just was so dehydrated. I could hardly ride the next day mm. because I just put myself in such a state. Mm. Um, so the lessons I learned was, wow, power. Mm. What is that? Mm. And then I was able to talk to him side by side the next day and say, tell me everything about power. Mm. He said, oh, this is the future. And, yeah. and I said, oh, I've got to be across this. But I was still from the old school where you just, you know, you just do your long ride and you yeah. just go back to you and, um, you know, the perceived exertion, one to ten, you know, this is a yeah. five ride or this is an eight ride or a yeah. two ride. Uh, but I learned that, that, uh, you know, this is the new thing that I need to understand. And as a an exercise physiologist, it was brilliant. Mm. I couldn't get enough. I couldn't ask him enough questions. And and he was sending his data to his coach in Belgium. And yeah. they were talking in between then and the next day to do the next session. And he had all his power numbers. And this is all new to me. And he was explaining how the FTP worked and mm. how he got his 
and it got to ride to this particular number and didn't matter whether it was into the wind or with the wind and there was so much detail and that was coming out of his mouth that was uh, such a light bulb experience for me. Yeah, what a ride. Right. Yeah. And the fact that uh, to manage your ride and, and I ended up riding five and a half hours or something and I was only, I only had the uh, nutrition for three hours. Um, the dehydration, mm-hmm. um, the intensity of a professional trainer because uh, I, so, well, I was at the beach with you guys in the afternoon at the bridge. We used to go to the, uh, to the uh, river mm. in the afternoon with all the kids. And mm. here I looked at the bridge and I saw this guy behind a moped, which was his wife, um, motor pacing him in the afternoon mm. of that same day. Mm. And so that's... Stacking it up. Yeah. So he's done two sessions in one day, one was a five-hour, and in the afternoon at five o'clock he was out there spinning his legs behind the... Mm. Yeah, the moped. Had you forgotten from your pro days how hard to get the train? Yeah, well, I just I thought triathletes were exceptional and maybe a bit mad with the amount of uh, training they did. I yeah. didn't think bike riders, you know, and it was a real eye opener to me to yeah. see how professional. But again, you know where he got to, so mm. you know he might have been a, an exception to mm. the rule. But I think most pros ride like that now, yeah. except they, you know, the Sky Team are all over that sort of stuff. Mm. But, um, mm-hmm. Incredible ride. So, so yeah. that got you on the power journey and as well as taking you some, yes. some pretty exceptional lessons. So after going down that path, I mean, take us through another 10, 15 years of experience of looking at power. What What is important? What do we need to know now? For, for anyone who's beginning or uh, even through to a more advanced level, what, what do you pay attention to? Yeah, and look, uh, it's, a, it's such a general question, but it can be very specific. We, we, we try and there's... There's so much data that you shouldn't use the word irrelevant. Mm. Um, there's so much data that can be ranked mm-hmm. of importance. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the bottom of the scale, you would say maybe it's irrelevant, mm-hmm. but it can be used for some one piece of 1% mm-hmm. that will be useful yeah. at some stage. Yeah. And then there's the data that's at the top of the list. Yeah. And, of course, if you're using power, the number one thing you need to know is what is your ability to ride for an hour, what's your power number? And that, that number, uh, you train to that number from that point on. And the method we use is the functional threshold power test, which is a 20-minute test. You can the, do the hour test. The, the hour test is the actual one we should be doing. Is that because it's more accurate? Yes, yes. But good luck telling someone to go, try, go yeah. do an hour's FTP test. I think you'll have a revolution. <laughs> yeah. and no one will do it. Yeah. It's just too hard yeah. um, mentally. And, and also to find a venue... If you don't live in the country or find a venue where you can ride a double drone, you can do that for an hour. But, but you know, mm-hmm. people say, right, ride an hour on a double drone mm-hmm. at, at your highest wattage, you can sustain. That's kind of the definition of insanity. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we take a percentage of the 20 minutes, then we're going to get really close. We're not, not going to get exactly because I know from my own data that my 20 minutes is higher than my one hour, mm-hmm. my, my 95% of 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Five percent off, but mm-hmm. um, we take it to, to take into consideration the hour. It's still a little bit high, mm-hmm. um, so so that's something that you know already. There's a little piece of information there as a coach that I need to take into consideration when I'm coaching people. Yeah, the twenty minute might be useful um, for the one hour uh, comparison, but um, but there is definitely a, a slight variation. Positive or negative, uh, up and down that the FTP uh, number. So you'd say FTP is probably the number one priority. Do a twenty-minute test. Take ninety-five percent of that to cut the yeah. hour. And that's probably 
at the top. Yeah, so that's your starting number. And as we've talked about a few months ago, we have a thing called critical power, which is the power based upon time. So you can have a critical power of 5 seconds, 10, 30, 1 minute, 5 minute, 10 minute, 20 mm-hmm. minute, 30 minute, hour, mm-hmm. up to 3 hours. Mm-hmm. It's kind of what the data we use mm-hmm. to see. And why do we need all that information? Well, it's just like uh, we also talked a few weeks about uh, what's the value of max VO2 testing. So what is critical power and what's the difference between why don't we just use max VO2 testing? Um, so let's talk about the critical power usage. So if you come to me and you say, I want to be a crit rider, then the 30-second, 10-second, 5-second stuff is really important data that I need to know to see what sprinting ability you have. The 20-minute, 30-minute, one-hour stuff, you're not doing a time trial in a crit. You're doing a race where there's unpredictable changes in the actual one hour. Someone's attacking, someone's sitting up, someone chases, someone breaks off the front. It's so many changes. And then you've got to sprint at the end. So the critical power number is relevant for us for our sprinting ability, for our five-minute breakaway, our two-minute breakaway, 30 minutes if you're in a, a breakaway bunch or if you're solo, these are all numbers you should know beforehand so you can refer to it in, in your race. Um, so how do we measure those? Well, we find the peak number in a training session or we use it in a race. Mm, do you find that, I know you personally have your highest five or 15 seconds from a race, do most people have their highest critical power points in races or yes, in training Yes, absolutely. The races are the ones where you get the highest values mm. because you should be fresh and depending on if it's an A race, a B race, or a C race. Mm. So, so the data is important depending on what race you're using it in. Um, and certainly I know that the bunch rides on Saturday, uh, whether you're in Australia, uh, whether you're in Western Australia, whether you're in Victoria or Queensland, you will probably have your highest peak power from your training over a period of time in that bunch ride or the race. Yeah, they're the two times where, and that's why I use the bunch ride as the really good training tool. Mm-hmm. One of those rides a week is great, uh, or a race. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get the racing, you need to have the, the bunch ride, which is kind of similar, but the same intensities, but not quite because you don't have a number on. But it's as close as you'll get to a race. So so the data information for that style of riding, for critical power, is really good after the race. It's not so valuable in the race. And people who are really old school riders are always saying, yeah, the data, what crap in the middle of the race, who cares? And, and they're right. Yeah. Because when the race is being going up the road, what are you you going to look down and go, I'm not following that lead because I'm already at the limit? No, you're going to race the race. Yeah. And at the end of the day, when you get home, and this is what I, I do with all the athletes, I check to see what area were they lacking. And when, the, when they got dropped or when they couldn't go with the break, um, the data will tell me what they needed to ride at and what yeah. they were able to ride at. And so therefore I can say, oh, you were really weak for two minutes there. We need to hone in a bit more on your critical power for two minutes and we'll do some sessions where we're really ramping up for two minutes um, you know, in the training program. It's like you said at the very start of this episode was the person who can combine you know, racing or riding with the knowledge of data will be best off because... If you're in a breakaway, this is the example we used a few weeks ago, which really resonated with me, is that if you're in a breakaway, you've got to just go for it um, because it's a race. But you can also know in the back of your head what your critical power for five minutes is or if you've got 15 minutes left in the race yeah. and, and know yeah. what you're likely going to be able to hold. Yeah, and what you said just a minute ago was uh, you've got the choice of going with the power or going with the race. 
the best of both worlds is the way to go. Use the old school guys going, no, I don't care about data. I'm just going to race the race. And then each week I can't understand why I'm not improving. Whereas if you just looked at his data after the race, he could identify his weak areas. Mm. He would probably know that I didn't sprint very well. Um, but he has no data to back that up. Um, and if I can see that, you know, you needed 700 watts to, to win that sprint and you still got done, well, we need to make the sprint 800 watts. And if that makes you win, then you've actually achieved something from the data that we've got um, from after the race. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So basically it comes down to, I mean, in the top two, is there, is there a couple more? Because I know you, you basically just categorise it as um, what's important is taking ownership of your numbers. Yeah, so ownership of the FTP, ownership of the critical power numbers, is there anything else you need to be taking ownership or if you have those two, you'll be, you'll be pretty Yeah, look, there's a really good uh, example. Um, early on when I was coaching and uh, we, we had a bunch ride on a Sunday morning, we'd go around the Dandenongs um, and I'd meet them at the bottom of the, uh, the tourist road, which is a, it's kind of an iconic hill, like the one in 20 years, and mm-hmm. I'm sure every state in Australia has, mm-hmm. um, you know, when you go to Adelaide, you ride uh, you know, up and Norton's Hill, it's a time trial, you know, it's great. And yep. you can always measure yourself against your previous efforts and everybody else hill, yep. on Strava, etc. Um, yep. So we were going to do a particular ride where everybody was warmed up already and we were going to start from that point and do a 20-minute effort at the climb. And I was saying I want everybody to ride at their functional threshold power for the day. And within two or three seconds, here, what's my, what's my number? And I was just disgusted. I was saying, what, you don't know your number after all this time? Did you know the numbers? Yeah, I knew the numbers. You discussed them. They should know their number. And and if I wasn't there, what were they going to ride? What number were they going to ride to? Well, they probably would have found out before they went, but because they knew I was there, they were lazy, and and they were going to rely on me telling them. And this is what power is. I want people to take ownership of their own numbers. So when you're in a race, you can't yell out to me, what, what's my number? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you should know it. And um, I suppose there's a whole lot of functions on the Garmin or whatever computer you're using. Uh, the priority of having that on the face of your screen is quite crucial, but it's very determined on what event you're doing. Mm. Um, if you're doing the three peaks and every time you get to a climb, you want to... Work out, you know, the climate often is an hour and a half between an hour and a half and two hours, so you know that you can ride at 80% for that two hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for example, if, you're, if your threshold is 200, 80% of that is um, 240, mm-hmm. uh, 140. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm just going to set myself at 140, push lap at the bottom of often, and I tap away. And of course, the incline changes up, down, there's a few downhills, the gradient changes. Um, but the overall hour and a half, you want to see it around that 120, 130 mark. You mm. don't want to see it fluctuating. So, so that's one thing you should have on your screen is your lap power. Mm. Um, percentage power is going to tell you that you should be riding at 80%. But as each pedal revolution goes by, it fluctuates with, with the pressure you put on. So it could read 88% for two or three pedals or it could read 72 as you as you take the pressure off and you say, oh, I'm riding too mm. high. All of a sudden, I'm riding too low. So it's not a really good thing to have on the screen. It's good to glance at it, yeah. but that lap power for a long-distance training session where you're doing 20-minute efforts, 10-minute efforts, 5-minute efforts, they're, they're really crucial numbers that you need to have on your screen. So 
What are the things that you were saying? Mm. Well, that's really important that you get the right number. For a triathlete, you certainly want to have um, your average power for the whole ride because most triathlon races are reasonably flat. Yeah. There's a lot of examples of races where it's incredibly undulating. And mm. Kona, the World Ironman Championships, is one of those. It's a 16K hill. So pushing lap at the bottom of that hill is crucial to any athlete I've ever coached to go to that climb. So, so they would know that their 16K effort is going to have to be at a particular wattage. Mm. So that is important to have on your screen. But so is also the overall average of that ride. Because as an Ironman competitor, as a cyclist, it's 180K. So I know that the average, uh, from all the data I've collected, talking about data, <laughs> relevant data is the average age grouper rides 75% in an Ironman, obviously, functional threshold power. In a half Ironman, he can ride it between 80 and 90 if he's mm. an age grouper. I'm not talking about the pros here. The pros can ride it between 80 and 83, and there's very, very few pros who can ride above it. And they, they normally have the fastest bike speed. Um, so, I mean, this might be too broad a question, but knowing all this, how do you manage the unpredictability of a race? Let's say it's not a time trial, or I mean, you're going for a bunch ride, and First part of the question is how do you how do you know when you should be looking at the numbers of or just racing or I mean you count a Saturday bunch ride as a, a mock race you know how do you know when you should be going or not and then how do you factor in when you're you're hitting a hill it might not be that long you're hitting it downhill because you you know, the lap power is going to go obviously you've got the average there but at the time how do you if it's a two minute or four minute hill how do you know what's hold that two or four minutes because grading something different, there's something different factors coming into that. Yes, great question again. Um, but it also depends on what you're training for. Um, and what is that session? Is that session you by yourself doing intervals that are, that are prepared for you, pre-prepared to, to sit within a range, or if you're in an unpredictable ride on a Saturday or a race? Yeah, let's say it's unpredictable and it's okay. either a race or a bunch ride. Yeah, so if, if the goal from the coach um, is that today I just want you to follow and stay with that bunch. And and all the people who you normally are around. Don't worry about your numbers today. Let's just follow. Let's race it. And let's look at your numbers afterwards. So so it really depends on what the goal is. Um, if, if I'm trying, for example, last Saturday, um, from my own experience, I'm wanting to see what's happening at the back of the bunch. So I rode tempo around and let all the guys go. And I'm seeing great new information from all athletes. Um, uh, that are in that ride and how they're coping with because we have like nine climbs that we do um, around that circuit. So I'm seeing firsthand how people are coping and how they're measuring their efforts. Um, and, and you know, I can still see people riding too hard at the bottom of the hill. And if you look and you know this hill, this is one of the things in training, if you know, or in racing, it's, why it's important to know what the course is. So if the hill is one minute and you know your best actual peak power for one minute is 600 watts and you've done the first 20 30 seconds and it's showing 930 watts then common sense tells you that mm. this is unsustainable so you're better off but as the coach said stay with the bunch as long as possible then stay with the bunch at 900 watts see what mm. you can do mm -hmm. but if the coach is saying you know ride each of the climbs within your range mm -hmm. then then, you know, you're always trying to push the boundary mm -hmm. of what training's about is uh, improving week mm -hmm. after week and not just repeating the same efforts. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there's so many variations to the answer to that mm. question. Um, I guess I'm just trying to find out, no, because like, I, understand, I understand all those examples, but let's just say that um, I'm on an unpredictable 
ride. Let's say it's a race. And, yeah, I want to figure out, maybe I'm trying to bridge a gap or something. Or I, I, I want to figure out, yeah, whether I can hold a group or whether I can hold a pace. How do I know up a hill, down a hill, what my average should be? Because it's going to be totally different. My lap power might be 140, especially 140. But going up a hill, I'm going to be pushing 200. Mm-hmm. My supposed to ease off and, and keep it down around 140 or down if I'm going to be pushing 100 watts. Yeah. So how do you know at that time how far I'm going to go? Yeah, and one of the great examples that I've had many times is when I've said to guys, okay, Wednesday ride, um, I want, look, I want it to be around a 75% FTP of your FTP. So we generally average 30 k's an hour on that ride. And, uh, you know, classic example of uh, just a guy starting off a ride, up a rise, and he breaks away from the bunch and 30 k's an hour and he's literally doing 30 k's an hour up the hill and then sticking over the numbers uh, sticking to the numbers and over the rise he starts putting his brakes on because he's doing 40 now he has to pull back to 30 and we go whizzing past him and he's going what what are you doing and that's literally taking it too far yeah you know you ride the hill um obviously if the, if the wednesday long ride is an endurance ride and it's a hill obviously you can't ride the hill if it's too steep at 75%. It's okay to be at 95 or 110. It doesn't matter. Because on the downhill, you're going to be riding at 40. So the average of that up and down will end up being 75 overall. So it is just the average. You're not, you're not so meticulous that you're worried about the water you push it up a hill or down a hill. You just want to see that lap average stay around that mark. In the training session, that's exactly what we're trying to do yeah. for a particular session. And yeah. it happens to be the Wednesday tempo endurance one. Yeah. But that's, I'm just picking a day and, a, and yeah. an event here. That's not, that's not what every session yeah. is. Yeah. Um, you know, your high intensity session, you want you want the bits that are high intensity to be exactly where the power number should be. And that's where the data is important. And that's why the old school rider who goes by feel, he might be riding, say we're doing another example, nine by one minute efforts. Similar to what could go on I was doing. <laughs> And I guarantee if I had had a power meter, my first effort would have been 700 watts and my last effort would have been 300. Yeah. And that's, it would prove to me that, you know, I felt like I was doing the same effort. Mm. And I was doing the same perceived mm. effort, mm. but I was that fatigued, my numbers had dropped that badly. Mm. The power meter will keep me, and I've done this many times, will keep me within the range. And the minute I fall 5 or 10% out of that range, I can't do it anymore, session's over. That's an indicator, which we'll talk about at some other stage. Yeah, definitely. Which is, you know, the power meter can be used to tell you that you're actually, you're failing at the session, mm. so you need to stop it and then not stop the session, stop the intensity of the session and continue on at a, uh, a power number that you can actually feel like you've got a training effect out of. So that brings me to what what sessions are the numbers vital and what sessions do you, if any, do you say, don't worry about the numbers? Yeah. And, generally. And look, the only time I would say not to worry about the numbers is in your your most important race ever. But in the back of your mind, you know your numbers yeah. and you would glance at them. And sometimes, as you and I have talked about, the mental side of, um, of racing, if you look at numbers and t- it tells you that you're way above where you've ever been before, mentally that could be damaging for you. Mm. I can't, and it depends on the person. Mm. I, I can't sustain this. But there's going to be some times where, you're going to do an extraordinary effort, and that's what it takes to win a race. Mm-hmm. And, I think because, and there's so many factors, like adrenaline can yes. be a big part of that. Yeah, race. yeah. And look, that's a, you know, there's, I've got a classic story, which um, which would really 
bring home that adrenaline point and the racing point. I think, yeah, I think we've, we've talked about that, uh, the infamous piano story on the podcast yeah. before. Yeah. But we also spoke about, um, I think we were discussing Chris Froome because of the allegations of him cheating and people looking at his numbers and saying, well, they're above what he's capable of. But, and they've got looking at his numbers in some tool stages and going, they're above his normal ad, uh, what if you go, well, how much of that is to do with if he was taking drugs, if that was to do with the drugs, or how much is it to do with it's the most important stage of his life and he's mm. literally pushing, he has the ability to push himself beyond what he's done before because it's the most important stage. It's, yeah, unfortunately, we, we get clouded uh, mm. by what's happened with the last 20 years mm. of 30 years of, uh, of you know, people continually uh, cheating yeah. um, and and we can't work out whether it's uh, real or whether it's uh, manufactured scientifically. But I guess the point is for yourself, like you're saying, if you are pushing abnormal numbers, then you don't have to freak out if it's important race. Yeah, you yeah. Know that, that can happen. Yeah, so the question you ask me is when are the numbers uh, relevant when they're not relevant? Uh, they're not relevant in the most important day of your life where you're, you're trying to you know, win some mm. uh, Olympic Games medal, national title, you know, the most important thing to you, whether it's the club championship uh, or beating your mate on Saturday, you, you want to go numbers higher than you've done before, and, and that's what you should be able to do. You should be able to do that when you're fit and ready for that and, and uh, tapered. And, and, and so, therefore, to say that people shouldn't be able to do numbers they've done before is quite unfair Yeah. because that's what general progression is. Mm. You know, you, if everybody stayed the same, then... Mm. We know what the race result is. Mm. It's the people who can go above and beyond, and that's why the data is not that important in those races. Yeah, it's what the data after the race is great because you say that's the highest power number I've ever ridden. But that's quite a fine line as well to even just think about in training. That's a whole Pandora's box of just because you know your numbers, you can't be obsessed with them and go, "Oh, I should be riding the exact same." If you become robotic, then yeah, you you are not going to improve. If you're riding the same numbers each week in training, you're not going to go anywhere. You want to push those numbers. Yes, for sure, and you've got to start somewhere. Mm. So the number you start with when you do your very first FTP test, if you kept riding and training to that number for the next year, you won't improve one bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, you might improve fractionally yeah. just because you've done consistent training. Yeah. But if you progressively overload your training, and this is how we build a trial coaching, we, we set them the numbers that they're tested to, and then we retest. And once those new numbers come out, Except in those numbers. So they will be higher slightly than the previous block. And as you progress into each four week block, becomes 12 weeks, becomes 16 weeks. The number you started with, and I've got so many examples of people who come in, the most recent, and we don't like naming names, the most recent person who came in started at 220, no, started at 180, sorry, mm. and now he's at 295. Mm. And that's after eight weeks. Mm. And that's a phenomenal increase. Mm. But he'd been riding for already a year where he'd been staying the same. And he's just on the phone to me saying, oh, wow, I don't understand it. Mm. How is this happening? What am I doing different? Mm. I feel like I'm training just as hard as I was before, mm. but I don't feel as tired. And there's so many things in that statement that you just say, because this, because this, <laughs> the recovery you're getting, and pushing you harder than you were before, yeah. you're not doing it every day. Yeah. And you know, you're not doing the same session every day. You've got consistency now. You've got an endurance ride. Yeah. There's so many factors in that in that statement that yeah. you just made. He's asking me, how are you doing it? And he's going at the same time, I don't care how you're doing it. I just, I want more. It's great. Yeah. Um, so really, there's just 
there's just so many factors that, yeah. that, are, that are contributing to... Um, but knowing the numbers at the start was pretty good. Yes. Being able to set the program. Yes. So you will always be able to complete the sessions because they're your numbers. Yeah. The minute you can't complete the sessions is because there's something else happening. Mm-hmm. It may be that you're sick mm-hmm. um, or that your number is wrong. Mm-hmm. And if it's not the injury or sickness, it's more than likely the power meter is read incorrectly. And, and you've seen me gasping in on after I look at someone's data going, how is this possible that the number is so high yeah. or so low? Yeah. There's something wrong with the power meter. Yeah. And that's one of the problems with modern technology mm. is if the power meter doesn't read correctly, then we get all these false readings, which therefore are psychologically damaging if you can't finish the session. It's yeah. not because you're going bad. We go, what's wrong with you? It's because the power meter stuffed you up. Um, and simple cal- calibration of most power meters will solve that problem. A bit of a golden nugget is what you should be calibrating that's right. every yeah. session. Yes. Correctly. So that's yeah, one of the one of the little tips is, uh, you know, it only takes 15 20 seconds to calibrate, whether you're calibrating uh, your kicker or you're calibrating your power meter on your bike, you should do that every session so that you know the number that you see on the screen is going to be the same number you've seen week in, week out. And the minute it's changed, it could be only 5 or 10% out. And when someone's riding it, you know, their limit is 395 watts. We've got some guys who can hold 395 watts. It's an astronomical number. Mm. 5% out, they won't finish the session. Yeah. 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 I actually asked you that. Is it? I mean, I could, is it that vital for all the sessions? And you said yes because uh, one time I was doing a recovery ride and I didn't calibrate it, and it was you know, five or ten percent off. And it's not too hard. It's too hard, and it feels like so hard. And, 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 it's and instantly, I knew there was something wrong. Mm. And I stopped the session, turned the power meter off, turned it back on again, and started the same session. The heart rate went from <laughs> it's not meant to go over one thirty, and the power was not meant to go over one fifty. Yeah. The heart rate was at one fifty. <laughs> And my power was reading 150. Yeah. Well, something's wrong. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's when I say, okay, there's something wrong. Yeah. It's either I'm not sick. No, I wasn't sick. I was yeah. perfectly healthy. So there's nothing wrong with the power meter. Yeah. So that's so, where all the old school guys would go. Like, yeah, like, see? Yeah, I'm yeah. But it's, it's a bit of both. It's having the smart. And this is where you can't just be robotic to the technology. You've got to have still have the smarts and you switch on enough to yeah. not panic and say something's wrong with you because the machine's telling Yeah, and look, I'm I'm a big believer in uh, combining every single piece of information, whether it's the old school training, mm. it's the modern technology, it's the power meter. You know, if I didn't uh, embrace the computer, because I've grown up without, you know, mm. not even knowing what a mobile phone was mm. for the first half of my life or mm. what a computer was. But if I didn't, if I didn't go with those things, I wouldn't have a business. Um, and it's the same with cycling. If you don't actually embrace the things that are there, the tools that are there, and use them in the correct way, but you've still got to go and ride your bike. You've mm. still got to you know, actually feel how your body's coping and use that as a reference. And I say that a lot in triathlon. Look, the numbers are there as a reference. They're there to stop you from going too fast and they're to stop you from slowing down because you can keep referring to them to say, okay, I'm in the zone where I should be, just keep doing what I'm doing because I know these numbers will give me this result. The triathlon is really the biggest one where the data is super important, yeah. yet I still see people not mm-hmm. racing with a power meter, which is, to me, incredible. Yeah. And it's part of the fun as well is that I know personally running, I 
I want to look at my pace to see what I'm doing, but I don't like looking at my watch all the time. I just want to run. And on the bike, you've got to spend the whole session looking down because that's the point of riding. Yes. You know, that's the point of the bike. Yeah, yeah. And look, the days where you asked me before about when the power number is important, and look, every single session the power numbers are important. The easy recovery ride, um, the power numbers are important not to go above. Yeah. And that's all you need to know. Yeah. And you feel that anyway. And if you start feeling yourself breathing too hard, well, you know, if I didn't have any power meters, I'd know that. The, the old school test was, can you keep talking to the person beside you? If you can't, you're riding too hard. Yeah. Um, so so the, power, the power numbers are important for the easy rides, they're important for the hard rides, they're important for the medium rides, they're important for racing. Um, so on that scale, what what do you say really focus on, the high-intensity sessions, the tempo rides, you just try and stay within the zone? Or? Yeah, not too strict on you know the recovery and the tempo and... Um, maybe the sub-threshold sessions, um, you want to be within the range, and that's mm-hmm. why I give people a bit of a range choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's still a range in high intensity because we've got the lower end of the highest intensity, yeah. and we give people the opportunity to go to the higher end. Yeah. A lot of coaches will coach with zones, but it's not specific enough. The yeah. range is too big. Because yeah. um, you know, zone four can be, if I'm using my own data, it can be between 245 and 320. Yeah. Whereas if I'm doing, you know, I do uh, sub-threshold, which is 88 to 92%, mm-hmm. it's like 4%. Yeah. And it's like that big. And 240 to 320 is not 4%. Yeah. It's, it's too big a range. Yeah. So, um, so it's important that uh, we use the numbers at the right time. And look, the high-intensity sessions are really the ones where you need to be able to hit the targets. That's where the biggest improvements are going to be. The endurance, long endurance ride, that's just, you know, anything anything around that, if you're doing a four or five-hour ride, you don't want to see an average of 84%. You won't train the next day. Mm-hmm. You want to see everything under 75% mm-hmm. um, for the entire ride. Um, you might have hard bits in it, like we do on a Saturday, yeah. but eventually, because you've ridden the warm-up and the cool-down, which might be two or three hours at a really low intensity, it evens itself out like you're asking about the uphills and the downhills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you still get the effect of the number um, at the end of the ride. So um, they're really good uh, measuring stick also, it, it, you know, to work towards numbers each session gives you a good overall picture um, of whether you're achieving the goal of, remember we talked about last week about having a purpose of plan yeah. um, and an outcome for each session. Um, and, you know, you can just tick them off, you know. I did the endurance ride properly, I did the high intensity properly, I did the recovery properly, I did the tempo properly, um, I rest day properly. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. all those pieces of information are data that's available to us now. And whether we embrace that or whether we ignore it, it's up to us. And I'm not a believer that if everything's available to you, um, use it for what it's worth rather than ignoring it just because it's not the way you do it. Yeah. And I'm open to learning things every single day. It's yeah. something new. You're teaching me something new about the technology of IT. Yeah. It's fantastic. I, I embrace it. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be able to keep up with, yeah, um, progress. with the progress of, of life and and, uh, and everything that uh, goes along with it. So. Yeah. That's a really uh, really good point to finish on. I mean, unless there is, I mean, that for me personally, that's a really good summary. That's why I do love doing this podcast interviews with you because I'm, I'm genuinely learning everything myself for the first time or sometimes the fifth time I'm really trying to try and get what's what's important and what can really help and, and 
I guess based on all those summaries, the, the FTP, the, the critical power, and just taking ownership of the numbers is really quite vital and understanding how to apply them sessions. Yeah. Is there any da- other data that we're missing we haven't covered that we can cover in another session? Yeah, but there's lots of apps that are available to us yeah. in, in the modern world of mm-hmm. technology. We've got uh, Full Gas, Swift, mm-hmm. um, the Wahoo Kicker, the Tax, everything on China Road. There's so many, so many apps that you can use to adapt your sessions to. Mm-hmm. Um, good information out there. Um, You've just got to use them to your advantage. That's probably yep. you know the main things you've covered already, and yep. just knowing that these things are available, especially if you live in the northern hemisphere and you know six or seven months you have to be inside. It's really important that you've got um, things that are going to keep you motivated, and that's why te- technological things. If someone's injured, um, you know, one of the guys in our team is injured and um, not keen on the ergo, um, but doesn't want to risk crashing again. So yeah, ergo is the best option, you know. So you've got to embrace that technology or go to the velodrome, yeah. away from traffic where yep. you know you're not going to be injured. So yeah, you certainly use it to your best advantage. Yeah, oh, perfect. That's a good way to finish off. So unless is there anything else you want to mention that's important for anyone to hear? Um, no, I just think uh, just yeah, just be open to to everything that's available to you and, and embrace it. And yep. I think if you've got that mindset, then. I think you'll have every piece of information you'll ever want, and how you use it um, is is the the key thing. Um, you've got to use it to your best advantage, and um, you know ignore the irrelevancies of some of the stuff. That don't get caught up in the fine detail too much. Mm. Um, and so, as a summary, I would say, yeah, make sure that you you're open to everything that's available to you. Um, you know, don't be too pedantic about it, but, but uh, you know use your coach. Uh, to find out whether you're hitting the right targets. Um, and the coach will have a set of program that will allow you to progress and improve. Um, as long as you stick to those um, ranges, then mm-hmm. using the data will be the most effective way for you to get from A to B in a hurry. No, awesome. Perfect finish. And uh, that's I've, I've learned a lot about today myself. That's why it's one of my new favourite parts of the week in this podcast. We get to interview your dad and uh, find out Stuff that I love about training that actually can really help. So for those listening, thank you very much for making it to the end of another episode. Uh, again, you can find out more information um, of Travello Coaching at www.travellocoaching.com.au. Uh, we talk a lot about, you know, we're based in Melbourne. We talk a lot of, about the rides around here, but we are an online coaching company. So we can, and we do coach athletes all over Australia and soon to be worldwide, I think, but at the moment where um, we take on any athletes. But um, as an online company, we have, unlimited access and um, so always remember to rate us and give us feedback with um, whether you enjoyed the podcast what questions you had you can send us your questions so um, if you're listening on the anchor app or any other apps you can actually um, go in and record a question and we can even play it on the episode if you want or we can um, play it beforehand and answer it in the episode or you can write a written question uh, but again it's travelocoaching.com.au and apart from that thanks for joining dad and we'll see you guys all next week thanks George. see you next week cheers